yeah, dude, I watched like Elvira like 15 times or something because <laughs> I, well, I'm exaggerating, but you know, like I, um, I, you know, I just watched the, the Blu-ray, right? But then there are like three audio commentaries mm. on it. And then there was a, um, like a, a documentary about it. Like, and I guess it's the quote unquote extended documentary or something. Like I, I, I've never seen the non-extended one. So, and you know, since it was included on that, you know, it's one of those nice arrow video ones or whatever. So does Elvira herself give commentary? Yeah. 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 She, she, she's on one of the tracks with, um, what's her face from fucking Valerie and, um, and, uh, one of the screenwriters who of course has a cameo in the film. And then there's a commentary with like the director and some, I want to say like online, like, I don't know, Fangoria fan or I don't know, something, something like that, which is like, it's fine, but it's like super awkward. And if you've watched the documentary, the Fangoria guy just kind of regurgitates a lot. You know what I mean? Like he's trying to move along the conversation, but then he says a lot of shit that you've already heard. But the ironic thing about it is they all have like these conversations about the shoot and the filming and everything between the two different sets of people giving commentary. But I I don't know if the director is just trying to play nice or not get into any horror show stories, but on the documentary and in the commentary, they repeatedly tell stories about how the dog was an aggressive little shit and would only listen to the owner. And they talk about the guy from Wayne's world and he gets like, you know, he's the guy that comes in to uh, be a realtor with Elvira's house, but then tries to make the moves on her. And she's like this, you know, just because the house is for sale doesn't mean I am. And she kicks him out. And of course the dog's biting his leg. Well, the guy on the documentary tells his story. He's like, uh, you know, he's like, I don't know. He's like, I'm scared of dogs, and that dog really bit me, and, you know, blah, 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 blah. And I didn't say anything because I didn't want to get fired, but I had holes in my legs for years after that or whatever, you know, some <laughs> fucking story or whatever. And I'm like, you fucking pussy. That dog's like fucking like a millimeter compared to you, like, but whatever. Anyway, so... He says that, you know, Elvira says, you know, I, I think Elvira is more like Cassandra Peterson, whatever. She was more like annoyed that the trainer, you know, like because, you know, in reality, it's like they're doing a scene. But in reality, the trainer's there going, Benny, sit. Benny, don't move. Benny, Benny, stay. Benny, stay. You know, and then they they ADR and dub, you know, all the lines in the scene later on. Right. Because they're working with this animal or whatever. So, you know. She was constantly complaining about that, but she she mentioned, she's like, well, that dog, you know, some days you didn't know, if, you know, it's like you'd cradle the dog and you didn't know if it was going to bite your face off. You know, she said stuff like that. So you get the idea, this dog, you know, outside of its trainer, you know, had the potential to be nasty to people that didn't know or didn't like or, you know, that was were not its trainer owner, right? But when you listen to the audio commentary with the you know this kind of awkward audio commentary with the fangoria guy and the director like he's feeding him information where he's like oh yeah didn't you know didn't uh 
you know, I, I'm trying to think of some factoid or whatever, but it's like, uh, didn't it take like, you know, uh, a couple weeks to paint that house or what, you know, and the director will be like, oh yeah, it did, you know, we did this and that and whatever and blah, blah, blah. And he'll talk about it. So when it comes time to talk about the dog, he's like, you know, they always say, uh, kids and pets, you know, those are the most difficult to work with. Like, was it difficult to work with this animal? And, you know, thinking he'd get a bunch of stories about, you know, the dog tried to eat my nose or, you know, some story. Right. And the director's just like, oh, no, that's that's total misnomer. Like, you know, it, it, it was the greatest dog to work with, you know, like really, really well-trained, like well-trained animal. And I, I just kind of laughed because I was like, well, not according to all these other people that they bit their fucking legs off. You know, but I was like, you know, whatever. Take it away, there. What's your question? Why do you guys talk about comics so much? Comic books. Motherfucker, do you read them? 18 years. <laughs> Toothbrush is still fresh. <laughs> Did they have sex? Because, I mean, she Hulk, you know. Damn it, Tony. We went an entire episode without mentioning Maggot, and then you ruined it. Comic books. Motherfucker, do you read him? Batman's got his little fishbowl on his head, but <laughs> Superman doesn't. Cyclops was right. Except when he was wrong. Master Bruce, you are calm. I'm going to silently judge all of you. Shut up, beast. Shut up. <laughs> like, I've read it so many times, you know, it pretty much just crumbled in my hands. Come on, old chum. Comic books. Motherfucker, do you read them? See, I didn't hate Hellcat until you made me read this miniseries. It was just a joke, but you made it real, Justin. No. You made it real. I, I prefer my Dazzler singing, like, Creedence Clearwater Revival songs at Australian bars. Titty discs. In it. <laughs> That's what to be known as from now on. Like, I'm going to go <laughs> into the Marvel Wikipedia and edit that. Whatever it is. <laughs> <laughs> get better than that. Comic books. Motherfucker, do you read them? Hey guys, welcome back to another spooktacular, booberific episode of Fan Holes Comics. Motherfucker, do you read them? Hey, what's up, guys? This is Derek, Derek WC, and I am not alone tonight. I am joined by one of my fellow. Spooky Dookie Fan Holes for this Fan Holes Fright Fest installment. Why don't you give a shout out and let everybody know who's here tonight? Hey, this is Justin. Hey, so yeah, so we're here. We're actually discussing something that I have wanted to bring for a long while because this is this kind of serves multiple purposes. I'm I'm checking off a bunch of stuff from the checklist, but first and foremost, we're we're talking about a Marvel magazine, Elvira, Mistress of the Dark. The cover proudly proclaims it's the official comic book adaptation of the frighteningly funny new film. I'm, I'm like, you, you know what cracks me up about that? Like, does that mean, like, somewhere in, like, you know, I don't know, Hong Kong or Mexico or somewhere, there's, like, this bootleg Elvira <laughs> like film adaptation comic that's not the official version you know that's like not licensed or whatever but yeah this is a a marvel magazine and let's see here i have the official marvel magazine in front of me so i'm just going to read the indicia but they apparently it's titled marvel spring special volume one number one but it is titled let's see it's 1988 is the copyright so this came out in 1988 right around the same time as the movie of course this was adapted by sid jacobson pencils by ernie cologne inks by romeo tangal letters by janice chang 
editor was Bob Budiansky, and the assistant editor was Dwayne McDuffie, and the editor-in-chief at the time was Tom DeFalco. So, of course, it's it's published by Marvel Entertainment Group, Incorporated, and it, it is owned by New World, which I guess kind of explains the tie here, right? Because I think New World and Marvel had, like, really strong ties, and I think that's how Elvira's film was distributed, basically. Like, it was made by... I guess NBC, but then the distributor was New World. But I guess just getting into all the the check boxes this checks off. Like one, this to me, this magazine is is a spinner rack magazine. Like I remember getting it from the local Seven Eleven and everything. So one, this magazine is a spinner rack magazine. Two, it is Fan Hall's Fright Fest. So we're we're doing a bunch of spooky dooky Halloween stuff. And what better thing to to cover than a comic adaptation of Elvira, Mistress of the Dark? That seems to fit. And I know, you know, I mean, I, I don't want to speak for Justin. Justin can speak for himself. But I, I, I think we both like Elvira, right? Like, so we were both kind of excited to talk about this. True. I've always been a big fan of Elvira. She was one of, like, three things that I was uh, wasn't forbidden to watch but it was strongly encouraged or implied that I should avoid her. You you were discouraged from yes. Watching it was it, uh, on that list was Elvira, The Simpsons, and The X Files, and my dad and I watched all three things anyway, despite my mom's objections. <laughs> and I think the uh, you know when it comes to Elvira, I think the objections are pretty. Pretty obvious. Pretty obvious. You know, I I can't remember. Like, I, I know I bought this magazine, and I know I saw the movie. I kind of feel like, I mean, I don't know. Like, I, I kind of feel like I went and saw the movie either with my folks or my mom or something. You know, like, I don't... I don't think, you know, maybe it's because she grew up reading, like, Tales from the Crypt comics and stuff like that. I don't think... I, I don't think there was that much discouragement as far as that goes i mean this certainly is one of those i i feel like see i didn't have like savage sort of conan magazines that i had to like sneak past my mom or something you know what i mean like and i i mean i feel like this is the closest thing this magazine here this elvira thing is the closest thing to that but i didn't have to like sneak anything past anybody but i mean as far as like i gotta go log out and stuff like that was what this magazine <laughs> was partially for right like that's that's the whole point i mean there's this there's this beautiful it's a it's a joe jesco yeah it's joe jesco that did the the painted version of it but i think technically ernie cologne drew the pencils i guess so uh-huh. it's like it's like painted over Ernie Cologne's cover or whatever. So I guess it's a collaboration or whatever. Kind of like, I guess, if, uh, you know, like, I I remember we were trying to figure out if Bushima did a a certain cover to the the Silver Surfer graphic novel, and it's like a combination of things where it's like he did the pencils, and then, you know, there was the, Joe Jesco did the the paints over it and different things like that, like stuff like that, right? So so this is kind of similar in terms of collaboration. And I guess, you know, I'm just going to go into details about this because we're kind of focusing on the the comic magazine, the adaptation and everything. And, you know, it's it's got her kind of standing there at the, the pyre, basically. Like, this is kind of a, 
I, I don't know if it's the climax of the movie, but it's it's kind of one of the penultimate scenes in the movie. They they basically accuse Elvira of witchcraft and they tie her up and they're gonna burn her and everything. But in this case, I think you know I I didn't even look at this, but I think this cover is a bit more reminiscent of like a a movie poster or a the VHS poster or something like that, because, you know, this is a little less, you know, she's not really tied to the post. It's like, she's just kind of, you know, swaggering around the post. And of course this dog that, uh, that we were discussing a little earlier, that's uh, mean as fuck dog or whatever gonk, right. It's sitting there gritting its teeth and everything. It looks just like the dog from the film. And then you've got all these kind of wild and crazy townspeople in the background with, you know, pitchforks and torches and, you know, the, the whole kind of, you know, Frankenstein's monster type atmosphere and everything like that. And I mean, one, this is a, to me, this is a beautiful cover, but then the, the back of the magazine has this photo, you know, I guess, you know, it'd be like, I guess today they'd have all these alternate covers, right. Where, you know, you'd have a photo cover of Cassandra Peterson as Elvira, but in this case, the back of the cover was the photo, you know, this glam photo of Cassandra Peterson as Elvira, just kind of sitting there in the, I don't know, it's kind of like a red spotlight background or whatever. You know, it's very kind of, you know, I don't know, like, you know, family photo, glam photo. You know, you can tell she's on some kind of, you know, stage with, with red lighting and this and that and the other thing. And, you know, I mean, it, it's one of those things where you're like, hey, if you if you own this right and and it's like okay well cool there's a you know most the majority of this is you know art and pencils and all that kind of other stuff but you know the the one thing that sort of cements its tie to the the film and the the real character i guess i don't know if that makes any sense but is this sort of back cover which is just a photo you know of of elvira basically and again, you know, that was for logging out, basically. I mean, that's 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 what that that back cover was for, right? So yeah, I don't remember like sneaking this around or anything, but I mean, you know, this this is formative, right? So it just goes without saying. My history with this magazine starts today, because until you mentioned this like a month or two ago, like I didn't even know this existed. So oh, okay. if if I had known, like I definitely would have had to have uh, snuck it past, you know. Okay. That's okay. the guards or whatever. Did, did you have to sneak past any other Elvira stuff? Because, I mean, the, the, the stuff I'm most familiar with, I, I mean, strictly speaking, was, was this magazine, the Marvel one. But I know there was that time where she, yeah, she took over, right? So she was she was a DC publication for a while. So I'm familiar with that as well. And I, I know, like, I know lately now they've been, I forget who it is, but Dynamite. isn't there like a, oh, it's Dynamite. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, like, Dynamite's doing a, Elvira thing, which I, I have no familiarity with. I had, I think there's two, like, House of Mystery specials. One's like a Christmas special. I had both of those, but I don't think I got them until, like, mid-90s. So at that point, I don't think there was any sneaking involved. I think it was just, you know, I, I think I just picked it up somewhere and put it with another, you know, group of comics that I bought at the same time and just, you know, brought it in. So there was no... There was no inspection or anything, but like if I had saw this as a kid and like tried to take it up to the counter and it was spotted, I probably would have been told like a firm no. And if I like managed to somehow like get home with it and it was spotted, it probably would have got confiscated. 
Because I mean, I guess I, I guess what this reminds me of is that Seven Eleven. Because it's not a Seven Eleven anymore, but there was this local Seven Eleven that we could bike to. It was the same one we biked to at the end of I want to say like seventh grade, and it was the beginning of the summer, and we got a like roll of quarters, and we beat like the turtles game and all that <laughs> stuff, the arcade game. But like that, I mean, I would get comic books from there and they had a spinner rack and all that stuff but like usually like this since it was a magazine it was usually on the rack with like other other magazines but it wasn't it wasn't something that was like hidden away or anything i mean i i it's like i may be burying the lead for some other magazines that we'll be covering eventually but i mean i i guess my point with that is it's not like it was you know, a hustler or a playboy, and it was, like, behind the cash yeah. register where you had to, like, ask for it. It was like, dude, no, it's a magazine. You know, like, you know what I tended to think of this as, too? Like, do you remember those, like, I mean, uh, of course you remember them. Like, I feel like an asshole. But, like, <laughs> like I, I'm trying to think of, like, a specific art style, and I can't think of the guy's name. But, like, they, they had, like, the Cracked and the the mad magazines and stuff like that. But like, especially in the crack, they always had that one character. It wasn't, you know how mad had Alfred E. Newman, but in like Cracked, they had like that one almost like Rhonda Shear looking cartoon girl that like she had this big, it was almost like, like if Peg Bundy was like 20 years old, but had like blonde hair, but yeah. this big blue font and everything. I can't think of like what the character's name is, but it's like, they would always dress her up as like, you know, Batwoman or something, but she always looked like, you know, hot as fuck, right? Uh -huh. Like this caricature hot, right? But like that's that and, and it's like I kinda think of like like they're you know, Elvira in this and and that caricature hot babe or like, you know, the kinda the kinda I guess caricature art that is in things like, you know, Playboy or like, you know, what, what do you call it? Like um you know, like something like Jack Cole would draw, right? Like after Plastic Man, where it's like all these like, you know, hotties or whatever, and these like comic strips about, you know, adult male, quote unquote adult. I'm I'm doing the adult quote thing, but you can't see it. But you know, adult male humor or whatever, right? And like this feels like similar, where it's like you know, it's titillating, but it, it's funny even even in some of the audio commentary on the film because I just got the the. Uh, arrow blu-ray or whatever you know it's it's funny they'll they'll say it's titillating but they'll say it's wholesome in the same breath you know like kind of <laughs> like like where it's like I, I think what they mean by that is like elvira doesn't get naked you know elvira yeah. doesn't have any you know like you know scenes where you know uh what's his nuts the the big dumb guy she's into has to wear like a sock because he's like you know running around doing a sex scene or something you know like there's there's nothing like that it's it's just very kind of like she comes to town. The reason why she comes to town is because she quits her job as a horror host because the the station, the guy who owns the station, is a big lech and tries to like you know, uh, you know, take advantage of her or feel her up or whatever the deal is. And and then she's like, well, I don't need your stupid job. I've got this you know big gig coming up in Vegas. But then it turns out the manager's kind of like, well, you know, they kind of want you to finance it, you know. And she's like, well, where am I going to get the money for that? And, of course, to kick off the movie, you know, coincidentally, you know, there's a telegram and it's like your 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 long lost aunt, you know, has passed away. And, and you are 
requested to come to the the hearing of the will and of course elvira's got you know dreams of you know big bucks you know on her her mind and so she she heads down there in her elvira mobile to to hear the reading of the will but then it turns out like she doesn't really get any money she inherits this house she inherits the dog gonk that we talked about and she inherits what she thinks is a cookbook, but in actuality, you know, just sort of jumping ahead, not to spend all this time on the plot, but just she inherits what she thinks is a cookbook, but it it's actually sort of a, a spell book. And you you I guess the idea was to reveal more about Elvira's past and her origins. And I mean, a lot of it's played for laughs, but it it kind of sounds like in some of the commentary, like they really wanted to, I don't know delve into who the character was or something like that which i i, I don't know I, I sort of find amusing but it in the wrong way maybe like like i'm amused at them for thinking that they developed the character more than i'm amused at the development of the character if that makes any sense because it's just kind of like okay like she had a mother who was you know the mistress of the dark or something like that and then I think they spirited her away to protect her because they have this, you know, nefarious uncle who's the villain, right? Who's played by Crowley's dad from uh, Supernatural or whatever, W. Morgan Shepard, right? And I guess the, the big thing about that was they really wanted to get Vincent Price to play that role, apparently. But they just couldn't, you know, I, I don't know if it was a money thing. I don't know if it was like Vincent Price is like... Yeah, I'm I'm too big time for this shit or what you know like it, it could have been any number of things. I think I think they politely just kind of say like you know he uh, he wasn't doing horror movies anymore, which is kind of laughable. Fucking Vincent Price is not doing horror movies anymore. So, but I, I think that was the polite way that they he brushed them off or whatever. Yeah, you know? but yeah, like th- this it's it's interesting because the Ernie Cologne pencils. I mean, I'm just looking at it. You know, th- this is a purely you know this is a black and white magazine, a purely pencil and ink magazine and i know i i've I've frequently gone on record as you know poo-pooing a lot of you know marvel essentials you know i don't i don't particularly like looking at comics without color and i do get super excited when stuff that's normally in black and white like manga has colorized versions or colored editions and things like that but these marvel magazines for some reason it's it's hard for me to quantify, but there's just something about them, the the gray tones and the the way it's done, it it just feels different to me. Like you know that they definitely tried to sell this to a more adult audience, and I mean I I I do I do really like the art and the inks and everything like that. I I, I mean Elvira looks great. I think her her boyfriend looks a lot better in the in the comic adaptation <laughs> like like it's almost like like he it's funny i think i think in the the film they definitely wanted him to have the golly g willikers look but i i think for some reason it's like he still comes off as tough and big in the comic but he never he never comes off as a super dim bulb you know like he, he just kind of comes off as a G shucks guy, you know, like, but like, there's some stuff where, like, you even see when he meets her in the jail in this comic, like, he's he's kind of more suave, like, he's got like a a pimp suit and like the 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 black 
shirt with the collar and everything. Like, like I, I don't know how to explain it, but there's just something about him where he looks more like he's down to earth and he's still, you know, a nice guy, but he just looks, he looks way more suave or classy in this to me. Whereas I think he wears some goofy ass shit in the actual, in the actual movie or whatever. There's a page I have a question about. Okay. On page five, you know, Avira is talking to like her, her manager, I guess. Oh yeah. 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 She changes. Okay. She changes clothes, but if you look, she changes out of her Elvira costume into another Elvira costume. Elvira costume. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I always, I always, or... I, I always thought that was just like because they joke. wanted to. Well, yeah, partly a joke, but I, I always thought that they just wanted to show because because it's it's interesting because I think I think if you pay attention to the actual movie, it's like she goes behind the the um, what do they call that thing the 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 clothes. I, I forget the the. I don't even. There, there's a word for it, but you know the the beautiful privacy screen. The fold out or whatever that's that's blocking that. And I think in the film, all all you see is the fold out and like clothes flying around. But in this, like they actually show you from the angle from behind where you're not supposed to be looking at, right? So you can you can see Elvira's naked, but from behind, right? So there is that. I mean, I mean, there is that aspect as well you know i mean i mean there and there are some things in this that are that are slightly different from the film and i i would suspect that it mostly has to do with the the shooting script versus what ended up you know being done on set or or getting revised from like another draft or something like that and like the the thing that i noticed the most was like most of the characters, well, I don't want to say most, but I, I think a majority of the characters in this, they're not, they're not drawn to be likenesses. I mean, even Elvira, like strictly speaking, is not drawn to be a likeness. I mean, the, as long as you get the hair right and the dress right and the big boobs, it doesn't really matter if it looks like Cassandra Peterson or not, like especially in the face. And and I, I don't think they went out of their way to do a likeness. But but what I find interesting is some people look like that kind of cracked Mad Magazine caricature, you know, like, but some people, even if they still have that caricature, like the, 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 the TV station owner, I mean, he's still a big fat guy with a, with a cowboy hat and he kind of looks, you know, greasy and sweaty and all, you know, like, it, it's like, it doesn't look exactly like a likeness. But it kind of looks like he's supposed to. Whereas her agent has like dark hair and has a totally different caricature. And the film, he's a little older and balding and all this other kind of stuff. So it's like they didn't, I don't know that they knew everything, but it's like they, they seem to know enough to know what certain people look like. But what I found interesting was, and, and this is something that came up in the, the film commentary quite a bit, was... The kids are kind of either nondescript or they're uh, maybe they are descript, but they're a different kind of descript from the the actual film. Like you've got the kid from Nightmare on Elm Street Three, who's like the freaking wizard master, and it's like I I don't know that 
there's an equivalent for him in this movie adaptation. It's like there's a group of kids and they they try to help out Elvira. There's there's like a, a girl who uh, is with the 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 I guess she's the daughter of the the family where she the motel that Elvira's staying at in the town. And I mean, you see her for a brief second. She's actually the one in the the adaptation. Like if you look on page seven, she she's the one who's saying, "Look, we do have a room," and she's shaking the keys around. Whereas I think that was the it was just the the husband and wife that were having that original conversation with her. And then she comes downstairs, wears some makeup and gets chastised for it. And I guess one of the things that they had mentioned was in the original draft of this, apparently th- there was no consideration for teenagers. And, and so it's like this, you can tell like, like Sandra Peterson's having this funny conversation where she's like, you know, I mean, she doesn't say this, but she's like the Larry's, the Larry's were like, you can't appeal to teenagers without having teenagers in your movie. So put some teenagers in the movie. Like that's what the Larry's were telling her to do. And she didn't really, she's like, wait, like does, does aliens have teenagers in it? Cause that appealed to teenage, you know, like she's just kind of, you know, kind of refuting the, the, the silliness of it. Right. But, but I, I think that's kind of reflected in this adaptation where the, the, the teenagers are there, but they don't they don't play as big a role in it. And it, it, it's almost like they, they went a different way with some of the casting, too, because it's like it looks like the three kids like one's kind of like a, a young Fonzie looking type kid. One's like kind of like a jock looking kid. And the other one kind of looks like a fat Albert or something, you know, like. And and in the film, I, I think it's like there, there's no Fonzie kid. There's there's kind of like this, you know, long haired, blonde, you know, kind of bright eyed kid or whatever. And what they they crack up about that was they kept saying that one of the guys that auditioned for that role was Brad Pitt. And the reason why they didn't cast him was because they, they were like Cassandra Peterson's like, well, I'd be spending the whole time trying to jump his bones, so I can't cast him, you know, or whatever. And 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 that's that's how they left that. The 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 guy who's the closest to the jock guy has darker hair. And then, you know, of course there was no fat Albert kid, and it was the the kid I talked about before, the one that's like the the nerdy kid, the wizard master with like some some glasses, you know, from Nightmare on Elm Street three and everything. So it's like it's like that that aspect I thought was interesting because you could kind of tell like this is kind of a giveaway that the kids weren't weren't as heavily focused on. I mean, even even in the film, they they try to bust her out of jail, whereas in this it's more like they take her out of the jail and they're about to burn her down. And the kids are just like, you know, hey, leave her alone, you know, but they don't actually like you know, drill a hole in the concrete and try to, like, you know, bust her out of jail like they do in the movie and everything. So, I mean, there's, I, I, I don't know, it's it, it's it's interesting, but it's difficult to talk about, you know, I mean, it's like, you, you can talk about different pages and everything. Like, I think, I think the, the one thing that's most distinct is, you know, the, the finale of the movie has W. Morgan Shepard as, you know, Uncle Vinny or whatever, right? And he, he does get the book at the finale and becomes, you know, master of the dark as opposed to mistress of the dark. And in the film, like, he's, you know, I mean, they've got a little bit of makeup and he's got, like, these 
kooky, you know, 80s special effects powers. But in this, it's like he doesn't just become uglier and uglier, like with his facial makeup. Like by the end of the comic, like if you look at like page like 39 and 40, like he becomes like this full on like demon goblin like like yeah and and i mean he he just you know he looks like i don't know the the hulk goblin from ultimate spider-man or some shit you know like i mean he just he just looks like a full-on etrigan type level like he's 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 become a demon not just you know kind of a wizard that has like you know some pointy ears and some some you know shit on his face do you know what i mean like he 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 becomes full on like uh, demonic and everything. So like there there's that aspect that this adaptation, you know, like their budget obviously for that was was much bigger, right? <laughs> like they could they could make him into any demon they wanted to, and and they did. So the other day you were kind enough to send me a file where you have a you have somewhat of a connection to this film where you uh, you sent me a video where you were acting. At the same bowling alley, right? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Like the, the there's this there's this bowling alley. I forget it. The, the town starts with like an M or something like that. But it's like it's this town that's like a little bit outside of L.A. So it's like one of these things where you have to like drive like just outside of L.A. And there's this bowling alley. And yeah, so I, I sent Justin like a a video to some clips of mine from this film called Nudity Required that I shot like a billion years ago or whatever. But like that bowling alley, like I, I just thought he might get a kick out of it because that bowling alley is the same bowling alley that Elvira, like basically in the beginning of the film when when she stays at the motel and the the little girl with the makeup comes down. And, and they start talking and everything. She's like, what, what's, what's to do for fun in this town? And she's like, well, most everything's closed right now. But, you know, it does stay open a little later is the bowling alley. And so Elvira goes down to this bowling alley. And the bowling alley, you know, if you look at it, is, is the same bowling alley that we used for that film, Nudity Required. So I was this character called the Bowling Bob. I think it was supposed to be like a takeoff on Silent Bob because, of course, I had no fucking lines. And I just kind of, you know, sat there and made goofy expressions and did a bunch of stuff in the background and always was there, you know, to to bowl. But then it's like, the, I guess the joke was like... I, I guess the character was so into bowling, like while they're shooting this film, you know, I'm one of the zany, wacky characters that they get, you know, for free, I guess, presumably to to help them make this movie. And I stay in, you know, like the whole time I'm on set, you know, like on set, on set, if that makes sense. Right. Because it's a you know, they're making a movie in this movie like. I'm still in the bowling shirt, right? Like, so that's that's supposed to be the joke of that or whatever. But yeah, that that bowling alley is heavily featured. Like when she makes her big giant speech and she's crying and sobbing to get the kids to to come, you know, see her do her, you know, riff tracks before riff tracks was a thing at the local theater and all that kind of stuff. Like that's that's that same bowling alley. So I was like, and the, you know, the the other thing that we should talk about since this is comics, motherfucker, is like it's like oh, it's yeah. funny you you have a heart attack because it's like yeah. you know I, I use the clip in history of comics on film because the two the two goons that work for you know Uncle Vinny right they're they're also at the local bowling alley right sitting in the booths and talking and everything like that and one of the guys is like you know how can they 
kill Spider-Man with plutonium. He was bitten by a radioactive spider. And of course, Jeff Conway from Taxi like grabs the, <laughs> the, the, the comic book, rips it in two and throws it back at him. And at the time, this is like 1988. So it's like, and it probably was shot in like 1987 or whatever. So it's just a prop. Nobody cares about it. They had the latest Spider-Man comic there was. They didn't give two shits about it. It was, you know, 75 cents. And so they ripped up the 75 cent comic and tossed it back at the guy. If, if you pay attention to it, it's it's Amazing Spider-Man 298. It's it's the first Todd McFarlane Spider-Man. <laughs> like now people are like, oh my fucking god, what are you doing? You know, it's like it's like it's like uh, these guys like they've got these uh, uh, souped up Porsches and shit and James Bond and they're just like taking wrecking balls to him and shit like that. It's like the same thing, I guess. You know. That's a crazy thing. I, I I didn't know that you had never um you had never read this before or heard of this before. I I, I mentioned know how that got past my my kid radar, but yeah, I just never encountered it. Never knew it existed. Yeah, I I don't know. Like some sometimes, yeah, it's just one of those things where it's I guess by the luck of the draw or whatever. Because that was that was something that was in that Seven Eleven, and I I I knew it, and I was familiar with the movie, and obviously there were other things that you know attracted me to the magazine. You know, aside from Joe Jesco art and and all that stuff, right? So I guess for me, it's just one of those standouts where I I I, I have lots of fond memories of it. You know, I mean, I, I don't know. What do, what do you think of it? Like, I mean, as far as the adaptation goes, I mean, do you think it's a fair adaptation? Do you like the art? Do you? Do, I mean, I because I know you have no. See, me, it's all like sentimental, like it's sentimentality and nostalgia and stuff like that. So I don't. I mean, you know, it, it, like the 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 thing that cracks me up too is. If you if you pay attention to the very very back of the magazine, there are a few ads. There's some ads for Straight Toasters by Skinkevich, and this I can tell like influenced me or must have influenced me because there's an ad for Marvel Masterworks, and the Marvel Masterworks their advertising is the one that reprints the Avengers one through ten, and that was one of the earliest Marvel Masterworks that I ever owned and i mean it kind of informed what i consider to be my favorite incarnation of the avengers you know the you know hulk and thor and iron man and the big bucket armor and and ant-man and wasp you know so like that to me i'm kind of like oh okay like this is you know i i hadn't thought of the ad you know but but it does it does encapsulate a certain a certain time frame, you know, and, and, and the, the, the fun thing about looking back at like sort of like your, your early spinner rack comics is like what led to what, you know? And it's like, this is, this is a good example of, of where some leaps were taken. You know what I mean? Like where this comic, you might think it has zero to do with Avengers, but like it kind of influenced my, my Avengers history too. I think this is a really good adaptation. I think the art is really nice. You know, you kind of equated it to like mad or even cracked. I think that's really apt because it does feel like that, but in a good way. You know, it's 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 really good art. You know, like you said, it, it's more caricature than likeness, but it works. Like, it, it, I mean, I didn't have time to review the movie like you did, but my memory of the movie in this film line up pretty well like there's a few things that i'm kind of unsure about but for the most part it seems to it seems yeah. to follow it and i mean it's like you said it's got that nice like blacks and whites and grays like it's really it's 
really great coloring, like especially here where they're they're putting her at the stake and it's really nicely lit. Like it, it it feels like it would easily go along the rack with some of those like, you know, other Marvel black and white magazines or maybe even like old issues of, you know, eerie or creepy or something. It's yeah, really yeah. I mean it's you know, the movie is funny and so this is funny by extent, but you know, there's some there's some pretty cool sequences like where where she's like doing a Rambo thing and she blasts uh, Morgan Shepherd and then yeah. Yeah, he turns into the monster and he's breathing fire and he melts. I mean, like that's that's a pretty cool sequence here. I mean, he just like, you know, dissolves by the power of her ring and then just kind of like tur- turns into like a liquidy thing and bursts up through the ceiling and everything. But yeah, I mean, I always liked the movie. And like I said, I I don't know how this ever caught past me because like I said, I didn't even know this existed until you mentioned it. Like at first, I thought you were talking about. The house of mystery and i was like oh yeah that's great oh, like we could okay. talk about that but then I, you were like no the, the you know the movie adaptation i was like there was a movie adaptation <laughs> oh okay yeah I, I i i dig this i mean i think i don't know i'm trying to think of like what my i think my favorite is like and this this isn't quite word for word like i don't, I don't even think this happens in the movie but it's a great page there there's page 16 there's this thing where she goes to sleep in the house for the first time that night, you know, the, the house she inherited from her aunt. And then from the closet, she hears her name. And then like when she goes into the closet with a candle, like something reaches out and grabs her. And it's like, it's like, it's a dream, but it's like this, this decrepit old, I mean, I assume it's supposed to be like the spirit of her aunt or something like that. And like, and then she wakes up with like an Elvis t-shirt with her, you know, nips popping out and all this other stuff. But like, that's, I mean, I don't know, like that, that page of her with the candlelight in the closet, like it's just really, really nice. But yeah, I mean, I, I think this definitely compares to stuff like, you know, what, like Dracula lives or the, the rampaging Hulk or, you know, like the, those kind of magazines, like it, it's just uh, of, of, of the same quality caliber i guess i don't know like i mean you know obviously like we said it's a little more caricature ish you know but but i i'm i just mean in terms of the 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 package and the presentation and everything like that i mean and i i I know we talked about this before we ever got on the air but like i I think you're right like it does the presentation sort of makes you feel a little more adult you know like like i mean you know, I don't know what was I like. What what did this? This is what like eighty eight, like. So like, I don't know. I was like ten. You know, like so. You know, like that's I guess adult in the sense of like a ten year old's mind. You know what I mean? Like like where you're like, and and not an adult in a like you know, Spawn, HBO. You know, like blood and cursing and tits and all that. Not like not like that, but just. I don't know, just something something about the atmosphere, you know, like like again, like like they they kind of said in the commentary, like quote unquote, this is wholesome. I mean, I know it's kind of laughable, but you know, it's it, there's there's nothing really, really to me. Like, I mean, people might have been up in arms about her or whatever, but like, there, there's there's nothing like. I mean, there, there's a few lines where you're kind of like, oh, she said that, but it's all. It's all talk, you know, it's all bluster and stuff like she doesn't actually like let anybody, you know, it's it's not like she's like, 
you know, and, and even when they even when they do her and Bob or whatever, finally get it on or whatever. I mean, that's all very, you know, they, they, they put out the yeah. the lamp and it's all tasteful. And you know what I mean? Like, so it's like, I don't know, there, there's nothing like that. But I mean, in terms of just I don't know, like there, there's something about, you know, the way the the demon looks, you know, the way the way, you know, the the lighting and the Uncle Vinny casting spells and. You know that kind of thing. It just it just feels like sort of like a an interesting adult presentation. You know, for all the uh, you know outcry or whatever there was at the time. I mean, the movie is pretty harmless. I mean, it's not like the movie is chained heat or anything. I mean, it's yeah. The, yeah. the only thing that's even a little slightly risque is like what she gets in the bathtub. But you need there's no nudity or anything. It's just she's no, in the I bathtub mean, with bubbles. Yeah. I mean, even when, even when, when there, there's the scene where the kids go up to take photos of her or whatever, you know, it's like, yeah, she's in lingerie for like a second and then she changes. But then before you know it, she's got her, you know, she's got her green face on and she's <laughs> with her cucumbers and all that shit, you know, beauty, beauty mask or whatever, you know? So it's like, then, then it's like, she's just wearing a towel and a, or, you know, a, a night robe and a towel on her head or whatever, you know? So it's like, there's nothing, I mean, you know, I mean, you, you want to talk about, uh, you know, uh, Andy Sidaris movies or, or, you know, slave girls from beyond infinity. We can talk about that, but th this is not that, right? Like this is not, you know, this, this is not like this kind of Skinamax, like, you know, TNA type thing like that. I mean, I, it's funny because because you get the idea maybe some people out there wanted it to be that thing, and it just you know she she played more towards you know she wanted to tell a, a comedy story. I mean, you know, in some ways I, I think it's interesting because the guy who directed this directed like a lot of the film shorts that were on Saturday Night Live, and I kind of feel like this is like a a precursor. You know, I mean, it's interesting because they talk about how she was in the Groundlings and all these character actors from the Groundlings were had roles in this and how she wished they could do more. But it's like, you know, there were, you know, the, the, the waitress was a Groundling. The guy who got into the, the car that she picked up on the road was a Groundling. Like the guy who was at the gas station was a Groundling and was one of the screenwriters. You know, like all, all these guys were Groundlings. And and I, I kind of think like in terms of the film, like like they, they were doing, you know, like, uh, well, I, I think the only thing that predates it that I can think of right off the top of my head is the Blues Brothers. Right. But like but like the you know, what I'm thinking of is that comes all after it is, you know, this was this was Wayne's World. This was the Coneheads. This was, you know, whatever, you know, other you know, I mean, a lot of them turned out to be horrible, but it's I love, I, I, I love, yeah, exactly. I, I love Wayne's world. Right. Yeah. But like, like, but, but I mean, there were, there were other things where they tried to spin, you know, characters out of these skits and, and make it a feature length thing. And, and in some ways, you know, Elvira, right. Even though she was doing it on whatever TV roasting old movies and all that kind of stuff. It's like that was a character, right? So it's like they tried to take that and give her a, a feature film. And and in some ways, you know, it's supposed to be like, hey, you know what? We're going to expand beyond, you know, just the basement of Wayne's world. We're going to show you Wayne's entire world, you know, like 
you know, what happens when they leave the basement type thing. And it's like, oh, this is what happens when Elvira leaves the TV studio and she goes out and has an adventure and whatever. And, you know, they did, you know, I mean, for the most part, it's it's played up for laughs and comedies. I think it, it seems like she envisioned it more as like a road trip type thing, but it, it turned into what it turned into, you know, but. I mean, you know, you know, the, the, the movie for the most part is, is, is harmless fun. I think, you know, it's like, it's funny. Cause like, I, I mean, I hadn't watched it in a really long time and I think like, you know, I don't know, there, there, there's some stuff about the humor that I think is, uh, I, I don't know that it doesn't translate, but it's like, it, it, it took a while for me to warm up to the humor, you know, like a little bit. Like, I think by the time all the stupid old people were having an orgy, I was kind of laughing and chuckling to myself because she makes them the, the stupid pie or whatever the fuck it is that makes them all horn dogs and all that stupid shit. And they all start acting stupid. And the, the old lady's licking the fucking mustard off the one, you know, and that kind of made me laugh because I was kind of like, OK, this is fucking stupid, you know, and it's like it's stupid, but it makes you laugh. Right. Like that thing. It's like I, I think with her, it's like she's kind of got those zany one liner things or whatever but it's like i don't you know i don't, I don't know it's it, it, it's that interesting thing of like you're attracted to part of the package right like where you're like oh yeah you know she's a good looking woman she has enough confidence and kind of zing to her and everything like that but it's like i, I don't know that all the jokes that they have her do necessarily land or anything but i i kind of think of it as like watching like you know the the crypt keeper on hbo it's like it's like it's like there there's it's like maybe not all of his jokes are land or they're kind of they're kind of corny or whatever but it's like you still appreciate like the the package or the the the, the way they put him together you know to to deliver this kind of goofball line or whatever and it's kind of like the same thing with her it's like it's like you appreciate all the time and effort it went into kind of creating that character I and, definitely appreciate her package. Yeah, yeah, you know. So, I, you know, I don't know. I don't. I don't know that I have too much more to say about this or the adaptation. But I mean, it's a fun revisit. I mean, it definitely applies to Halloween and all that kind of stuff. I almost, you know, part of me has more nostalgia and love for this Marvel magazine than I do for the actual film, interestingly enough, you know, just, just the, the, you know, it, it's funny. Cause I, you know, you, you, you wonder because the, the film I think has a level of, I don't know how to explain it. It's, it, it, it's just very like daytime kind of, you know, everything is well lit and like, like there, well, I guess, I guess maybe this is a good way to explain it. I mean, outside of that bowling alley, and then that final quote unquote Vegas thing that they had to shoot somewhere else because they almost didn't have it in the movie. The majority of this is filmed on the Universal backlot. And I mean, I think, I think if you've either been there or if you've seen it in other films or whatever, like I, it, it's, I, I don't want to sound like an asshole, but I mean, it, it's kind of obvious. Like you can tell, like the majority of this is shot on the back lot right like when they're walking up the steps and hitting city hall and and, and all that kind of shit you know like the majority of it right except for you know they're they're you know when she's getting gas at the gas station like that's somewhere else and you know like there there's you know other locations and stuff but i mean the town right the town is you know a universal back lot the the the, the gravestones is universal back lot the there were a studio somewhere out there and you know the the 
the uh, the house, you know, that's universal backlot or whatever. So it's not like, you know, like, and that's all, you know, daytime, very well lit and all that kind of stuff. I think the 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 Marvel magazine for me has like a lot more atmosphere. You know, it's, it, they can they can make all this shading and 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 have all this kind of moody lighting and stuff like that. And it's not all just kind of like, you know, faux day for night, you know, faux moonlight type thing or whatever like it it to me it it, it looks a little more it, it's ironic but the the magazine has a a tinge of of realism to it uh or a a tinge of you know the the i don't know the spooky the tone the 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 kind of atmosphere that that the the film itself is is a little more generic i guess but that's just me yeah I mean, I, I yeah, like, like I said, I guess I guess I'm kind of done as far as you know, m- more things to bring to it. But I'm I'm glad I'm glad I got a chance to share this with you, and you know, the, the fact that it was something you had not heard of before. Like I think that's kind of cool. Like that I was able to bring some Elvira to your attention that you were not actually aware of. Hey, you. Yeah. You listening to this? My name is Mercy St. Clair, and I'm a trekker. Not a very glamorous job, but not according to some group called the Akadekthanagon Theater Works. And me. I think your adventures can be very glamorous. Oh, come off it, Molly. What I do is dirty, dangerous, and frustrating. Maybe. But I know I like hearing about what you do, and now other people can as well. That's where you come in. Yes, you. The one I started talking to before being interrupted. Head on over to 8TW.Ninja and look for my adventures as dramatized by the Akadekagonagon Theater Works and some guy named Ron Randall. Or else. Mercy! Ron Randall's Trekker, a new audio drama by the Akadekagonagon Theater Works, presented through the Two True Freaks Podcast Network. Coming summer 2021. All right, well, I think this will wrap things up for this installment of Fanhole's Fright Fest. If you have any other comments, questions, and or concerns, if you're worried about Gonk getting, like, spray-painted like he was, like, don't send us angry emails, but I was a little concerned about the dog because I'm like, uh, I'm like uh, I, the whole time I was hearing what a nasty, like, angry dog he was and he didn't like anybody, I was like, would you like anybody if somebody shaved off all your fucking poodle fur and then spray-painted you fucking pink and black? I would be fucking pissed at all you motherfuckers too. But yeah, if you have any angry emails, like, and you're angry like Gonk, Send them to fanholespodcast at gmail.com. If you want to check out the backlog of episodes of comics, motherfucker, do you read them? Or you want to check out, like, everything in Fanhole's Fright Fest, go on over to fanholespodcast.blogspot.com. The entire backlog of our episodes are available for direct download. We are on all kinds of social media. We're on Tumblr, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. We appreciate all the likes, hearts, shares, and retweets that we receive. We can be streamed. We're on all kinds of media. We're on Apple Podcasts. We can be streamed on Stitcher Radio, Google Play, and Spotify, and Amazon Music. So, until the next time, this is Derek, Derek WC, Master of the Dark, signing off. And this is Justin. 
Schwing. Total Bay. There's this weird guy on Channel 9 this fall, and I guarantee he'll give you nightmares. His name is Freddy something or other, but immediately following Freddy, I'm back. Now, if I'm Mistress of the Dark, and Freddy's gonna give you nightmares, I would think twice before falling asleep Saturday night. Remember, don't miss a nightmare on Elm Street, Freddy's Nightmare, and me, Elvira, Saturdays beginning at 10 p.m., nowhere else but Channel 9. Elvira's Movie Macabre, tonight at 11.